Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 21. As we'll can continue to take a look at the the life of uh, of Paul, the culmination of the third missionary journey and the beginning uh, of his last journey. Uh, it's interesting because one of the things that just leaps out uh, of the Word when I look at this is Paul's resolute commitment, his utter surrender. It's complete, it's total, he's... His life took this radical, or what we may consider a radical turn. I mean, from what he thought he was going to be to what he became in Christ is so different. And I think he, uh, he portrays for us that, that attitude that says, you know, truly I have renounced all for Christ. Paul would say, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He considered the loss of all things a bonus because he got Christ in it. And that's challenging to me to think about the fact that if I was to take everything away, if all I could have was the Lord, and if that thought fills me with trepidation and worry and I don't think that that would satisfy then I I think we haven't come to a full understanding of the satisfaction that is possible when a life finds itself in Christ he meets every need Every human being we talked about last time that we were together is from the day of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. uh, Infinity was taken from our heart. All the time you hear people talk about, uh, you know, the Lord said that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says dying you shall surely die. But I think the moment there was no question for Adam and Eve what just happened because something left. It has there from that moment forward, every man born, every woman born has been born in the image of Adam. We were created in the image of God, but we are born in the image of Adam. We have... A peace missing that was surrendered through Adam. And we enter life without that peace. And we spend a lifetime, many times, trying to substitute anything we can get a hold of for that part of us that seems to be lacking. And we'll try uh, thousands of things before it's over. And in one degree or another, there's a variety of of success that we may have where we find satisfaction for a moment, for a period of time. But then it passes and the new truck's not new enough. Or that new house or that piece of property or my new wife or my new husband. And we find ourselves needing something that we were created to have in the beginning. You were created to have an intimate relationship with the unknowable God. And that's a pretty incredible thing. That God becomes knowable for you and I through His Son, Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us in John chapter 1, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, who is encapsulated in God the Father, He reveals God to us. Jesus Christ, God of God, man of man, He came to give us the peace that's missing. 
And He calls every man everywhere to the same thing. Repent. To lay, let go of all those things we're trying to hold on to, right? That we're squeezing so tight, thinking this is going to be that thing that satisfies. You remember I told you how they hunt monkeys, right? Put a bunch of shiny marbles in a cage that's chained to the ground. The hole's big enough to stick your hand in. And you grab those pretty marbles, but you can't pull your hand out. And you know those monkeys won't let go? And the hunters come in and kill them. For they won't let go of that marble. Because they are so sure that shiny bobble, that's what's missing in my life. And that's how we live so often. On the Damascus Road... Paul came face to face with what was really missing in his life. An intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Not a a surface relationship. Not an intellectual understanding. An intimate relationship. Paul made a choice that day as the Lord penetrated his heart. He said, I will follow him. Now a lot of people say, oh, it's so easy because Paul saw him. And if only I could see him, then I would make that same choice. Now, you better take a closer reading on Paul. He saw something. John says, light came into the world. But men loved the darkness rather than the light. Paul had unapproachable light all around him and certainly sensed the glory of God. But I don't know if it was an advantage Acts chapter 9 tells us that God showed Paul all the things he would suffer for his name's sake. Do you want to know that? Before you take a step. There are certain things in my life I'm glad I just had to live through at the time. But Paul Paul had an opportunity to see that which he would suffer. And still, he made the choice, knowing what it will cost me. It's going to cost me everything. My whole life is radically going to change. I'm going to, I'm, my, my career path is going to radically change. Everything I was doing and everything I was about, it's all going to dramatically become something totally different. Yet, I will go. See, that's... That's what we're talking about in a relationship. It's more than intellectual assent. It's more than, I know God exists. It is, I know God in my life. And that led him to a resolute commitment that when he was on that road, he was not getting off no matter what you told him. It reminds me of a, another story in history and. On April 14th, in 1521, a man named Martin Luther, maybe you're familiar with him, he had begun what is known as the Protestant Reformation. The church was polluted with all kinds of just worldly things and really bad stuff was going on in the name of Christ. Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door and the church proclaimed him a heretic and they said nobody should read any of the stuff he writes or look at any of the stuff that he does. In a few years, there was a fellow named John Huss who wanted to take the Word of God, which was in Latin, and at that time Latin wasn't spoken by people, and he wanted to put it in the language that people could read. And the church declared him a heretic. People don't need to see the Word. They need to come to me and I'll tell them what it says. That's power, in case you're wondering. That's not the Lord. And so, John Huss was trying to to provide the Word of God. And so they had a council meeting. And they brought John Huss and they told John Huss, listen, if you come, it's okay. We promise you safe passage. We just want to talk. So John Huss went. They declared him a heretic, put up a stake, tied him to it, and burned him. Because he wanted to make a copy of the Bible you can read. That happened a few years earlier than April 14th, 1521. 
Now Martin Luther's been declared a heretic. And they're having what has been called the diet of worms. It, it doesn't mean they were eating worms. A diet was an old English word that meant a council, a gathering. And they invited Martin Luther and they said, Come, we promise, safe passage. Well, they'd heard that before, right? But this is what Martin Luther had to say. All his friends came around they said, No, don't go. You remember what they did to John Huss? Martin Luther said, Though Huss was burned, the truth was not burned, and Christ lives. And he sent a, this famous sentence. If you've studied any church history, you probably heard it. He said, I shall go to worms, though there were as many devils as tiles on the roofs. Resolute commitment. It's not safe. But I'm going. So he went. He got there. He was, he was uh, met by Charles V, an heir of a long line of Catholic sovereigns, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. All these famous people all around him. He, he's just a monk. You get that right? He was not famous. He's famous today. He wasn't famous then. Just a monk who believed what the Word of God said more than what man said it said. And he asked for a night of prayer and they granted him that night of prayer and this is what he prayed. He said, How frail and sensitive is the flesh of man and the devil is so powerful and active through his his apostles and the wise of this world. Oh, thou my God. My God, help me against the reason and wisdom of all the world. Do this. Thou must do it. Thou alone. For this cause is not mine, but thine. For myself, I have no business here. These great lords of the world, indeed, I too desire to enjoy days of peace and quiet to be undisturbed. But thine, O Lord, is this cause. And it is righteous and of eternal importance. So stand by me, thou faithful and eternal God, for I rely on no man. O God, stand by me in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, who shall be my protector and defender. Yea, my mighty fortress through the might and strengthening of the Holy Spirit. On April 18th, they had to move the meeting to a larger hall. So many people flooded the room that the only person who could sit was the emperor. All to hear what Martin Luther would say. Johann Eck was the voice piece for the emperor and he spoke. This is what he said. Martin, how can you assume that you are the only one to understand the sense of Scripture? Would you put your judgment above that of so many famous men and claim that you know more than them all? You have no right to call into question the most holy orthodox faith instituted by Christ, the perfect lawgiver, proclaimed throughout the world by the apostles, sealed by the red blood of the martyrs, confirmed by the sacred councils, and defined by the church, in which all our fathers believed until death, and gave this to us as an inheritance, in which now we are forbidden by the Pope and the Emperor to discuss. It's the end of the debate. I ask you, Martin, answer candidly and without horns. Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors that they contain? Luther responded, Since then your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes or councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot, I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. They had to hide him in a castle, a prince of Germany, for two years. They wanted to kill him. And in those two years, 
he provided a Bible that anyone who could read German would be able to read. The Protestant Reformation took off and the church that was poisoned from the inside began once again to bring life. All because of a man's resolute commitment to follow God where it wasn't safe. God doesn't always call us to be safe. He does always call us to follow Him. Chapter 21, verse 1 reads, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kaz, the following day to Rhodes, and from there Patara, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. When we come to an end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children, till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and we prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt and bound it, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, we and those who were in that place, we pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you For the truth of Your Word, Lord Jesus, we pray, God, that our hearts would be a fertile soil to receive the seed of Your Word. God, that You would speak by Your Spirit, Lord Jesus, that we would hear. That we would understand the things that Your Word is laying out for us as we see now, God, on the pages of Scripture, this resolute commitment. Lord, we ask Your blessing and Your anointing at this time as we just pray Your Spirit leads in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to Acts chapter 21. There's a lot of opinion. I'm not a big man who is uh, wrapped up in opinion. Everybody has one, right? So, I don't see the value in opinion. I do see the value in the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say? There's a lot of talk. Well, Paul shouldn't have never went to Jerusalem. There are other people who say, well, yeah, Paul was supposed to go to Jerusalem. And, and, but we read in the Scripture, we hear some pretty challenging things, don't we, about people telling him not to go? And he went anyway? I don't care so much about what their opinion, about what they're saying is. I want to know, what's the Word of God telling us? What does God's Word say? What does it tell us? Well, let's look in Acts chapter 20. We just look up a little bit from where we are in Scripture. Verse 22, it says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, Chains and tribulation await me. Now, for a lot of us in our Bibles, that word spirit is a little s. For some, maybe it's not. But for some of us, it's a little less. When we go to chapter 21, verse 4, and we read, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. For some of us, that's a big S. 
One's a little S, one's a big S. Do you know what the difference is? Nothing. It's the same word. Same structure. Same sentence. But the translator's opinion is, well, they can't both be right. So one is the Spirit of God and the other is the Spirit of the man. But the word in each case is the word pneuma, which means spirit. In Acts 20, 22, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit had told Paul he had to go to Jerusalem. I am bound in the Spirit. I must go. I know that because I see in other places in Scripture the same idea. In Acts chapter 19, verse 21, listen to what he says. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit. Acts 19.21. There you have a capital S. Interesting. Because, what does it say? That when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Same word in all three. Same structure grammatically in all three. The Holy Spirit, I believe, told Paul to go. Paul had been shown all the things that he would suffer. And there were very real prophecies concerning the fact that chains and tribulation awaits him. He's getting into trouble. There's going to be hard times on the horizon. And sometimes we interpret that prophecy to mean if it's going to be hard or bad... Don't go. Pastor Saeed Abedini, who is in Evan prison in Iran, I'm sure he had friends when he told him, i got to go back to Iran, who told him, that's not a good idea, it's not safe there. And truly, they must have been right, because shortly after he got there, they arrested him, put him into a mock trial, confined him to Evan prison for eight years. Most guys don't make it more than a couple years in Evan prison. He's already been there for a year. Surely that's not God's will, right? Except for this thing that just nags at me. His wife who says, stop praying that he gets out and start praying that he finishes what God has for him to do there. Except for the nagging thing about the people getting saved in the darkest place on earth. How would God ever get a Christian in there? He put it on the heart of a man to go to a place that's not safe. Some people would hear the prophecy and, and they would define it and they would say, this is the interpretation. Don't go. And that's what I believe we're seeing. The words of the Holy Spirit saying hard times are on the horizon and people who love Paul saying, don't go. Don't go. It's, it's, it's going to be bad. Truly. But what do I see in Paul? I see the same thing in Jesus Christ. There came a point in Jesus' ministry when he turned his eyes toward Jerusalem and he said, it's time to go. What did he call it? It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's what he called the cross. The glorification of the Son. And there came a time in Paul's ministry where he does the same thing. He turns his eyes toward Jerusalem and he says, it's time to go. It's time to go. Man, I know chains await, but what did he say in Acts uh, 20, 24? None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I might finish my race with joy. I'm going to fulfill the purpose for which God has called me. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, you go to Paul. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name in three places. Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Those are three places where he is serving. One of those, the children of Israel, the main area to do that would be Jerusalem. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Do you hear what the Lord said? I will show him how many things he'll suffer. And Paul, he saw in the Lord something so beautiful, something so glorious, something so, such treasure, that it didn't matter all the things that he would suffer to achieve. 
finishing his race. He was compelled to do so. He was compelled to accomplish what God had laid on his heart. Well, we see the concern of the believers at Tyre, right? It says in verse 4, finding disciples, we stayed there seven days and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Not to go. I believe the Spirit showed them the things that he was going to suffer. And they said, don't go, don't go, this is bad. But the Scripture tells us in verse 6, in verse 6 it says, um, or in verse 5, sorry, when they had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they and all accompanied with us, uh, they and all, and they all, whew, some days, <laughs> maybe I need better glasses, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, we knelt down on the shore, and we prayed. Man, they loved him. They loved him. And because they loved him, they wanted to save him any trouble. But you know, Paul would write in in chapter 23, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, 23 verse 1, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul didn't say, You know, I lived in all good conscience. I've done all the things that God asked me to do, except for this one thing. I wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem. He didn't say that. He said, I lived in all good conscience before God to this day. Chapter 24, verse 16, he said, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. So he felt as though he was without offense. This is during the arrest in Jerusalem and the subsequent travel to Rome for trial. Paul was not persuaded. Paul was not persuaded. It says in verse 7, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Tolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we were with Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Man, that'd be pretty cool. You remember Philip the Evangelist, right? There were seven guys chosen full of the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of the widows in Acts chapter 6. One of them, you know their name, one of them's name was Stephen. Remember the story of Stephen? He was stoned, one of the first martyrs. Philip was called Philip the Evangelist because after he served the widows and this persecution came and the church spread, as the church was getting scattered from the persecution, Philip went to Samaria. When he got to Samaria, as he was teaching in Samaria, a big revival breaks out. The, the apostles come down and they lay hands on the people. They receive the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, power. The church is growing. Things are happening in the church there and in, in Samaria. And all of a sudden, God says to Philip, Philip, I want you to leave here and go to the desert. Now, if you were in the middle of Israel, in Samaria... And the Lord said to you, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. You would say, I'm already here. The whole place is desert. Well, not all of it, but a lot of it is desert. Well, the Lord said, go down the road to Gaza, out to the middle of the desert. Philip didn't say, where am I going? Why am I going? He saw in God such an incredible treasure that he didn't care what God asked him to do. He just did it. He got on the road, went down out into the desert. He runs into an Ethiopian eunuch who happens to be reading Isaiah chapter 53 as he comes walking up and he doesn't know what he's reading about. He's trying to figure out who's the guy the prophet's talking about. Philip comes walking up to him and he says, Hey, you want me to explain it? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He introduces him to Jesus Christ and the Ethiopian eunuch finds in Jesus Christ something that has so much value. He receives him as his Lord and Savior and he says, What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, Nothing. We just got to find some water. And so he said, see, here's some water. So Philip went over, and he was baptized, symbolizing death, burial, resurrection. A new life has begun. Philip takes him up out of the water. I'm thinking the Ethiopian eunuch is thinking, oh, we'll have this long drive somewhere to talk about this cool thing. And where did this guy come from anyway? And right then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit snatched him up and put him in another place. He was just gone. 
And the Ethiopian eunuch looked around and said, Wow, nobody's going to believe this story. You know what? Most of you have heard ones like it. Oh yeah, you know, the person that had a flat tire and nobody was out on the road and all of a sudden there was somebody there. Come on, you've all heard them. They float around there. Philip ends up in Caesarea. Caesarea is just a simple, short walking distance from Jerusalem. Paul could be in Jerusalem at any time. He's at Philip the Evangelist's house. Philip the Evangelist has four daughters. They're virgins. That's Bible speak for the fact that they were unmarried. They're four unmarried women who all had the gift of prophecy. The word for prophecy in historic Greek literature simply means that they had an ability to speak publicly. But biblically, it means more than that. Not only the ability to speak publicly, but also to speak forth the Word of God, to share God's Word. It makes sense. Their dad was an evangelist, right? So it makes sense that they were able to speak forth the Word of God. It also means that they're able to foretell the Word of God. That's things that have not happened yet. And so there Paul is gathered with them. I'm sure they're having a neat time of fellowship. But the Bible tells us this incredible prophet shows up. Agabus. How would you like that name? I know there's some people right now thinking, you know, we have to be thinking about a name. Tasha Masters getting ready to have a baby I'm a week from Monday. Agabus, I'm just putting it in there. Just put it in the hat. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a unisex name, boy or girl, it doesn't matter. They're not going to run into another Agabus anywhere. Agabus the prophet. What's special about Agabus the prophet? Agabus the prophet, guys, was never wrong. Can you imagine such a thing? I love looking at the different things from from psychics. Some of you guys may remember the Psychic Friends Network. You remember that? Have you heard the joke? The Psychic Friends Network went out of business. I guess they didn't see that coming. (laughs) Funny how that is. Psychic Friends Network, most of them people will talk about, you know, she's 95% right. Oh no, this person, 97% of the time. You hear people talk about worldly prophets like that all the time. For example, Nostradamus, he's pretty incredible. He had all kinds of prophecies that he made. Do you know that he only missed Hitler by one letter? He said his name was going to be Hitler. You know what the Bible says about that? That they're all false. Wrong once and you're out. That's the Bible's rule. Wrong once and you're out. God says in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and later on I think Deuteronomy chapter 18 as well. If they are wrong one time at all. Why would you entrust your eternal soul to the man or woman who is 95% right. You only get one of those souls, right? You know that? It's going to spend eternity somewhere. It is eternal. I would suggest somebody who's never wrong. Agabus was never wrong. Never. And he comes walking in I don't even know if anybody invited him. That's the way prophets rolled in the Bible, man. You'd be hanging out, watching Monday Night Football, and he'd just come walking in. Oh, Agabus is here. Oh. And he'd have a word from the Lord. Look what Agabus says. Look what he says. It says, Now, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he came to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said... Thus saith the Holy Spirit. That is the same thing, by the way, as thus saith the Lord, or thus saith God. This is God's voice coming out of man. Thus saith the Lord. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Simple word. Agabus doesn't say anything else. He just delivers the word. He speaks forth a prophecy. 
Hard times in front of you. Hard times in front of you. Wow. Immediately, the Scripture tells us, look what happens. Immediately, when, when that goes on, and when I hear those words from Him, I, it still echoes in my head. Um, I have echoes that happen there. And it says, what will make you quit? That's what I hear. When somebody says, it's going to be hard, and this is going to be tough, and this is going to be... And all I hear, I don't hear all those words, I hear, what will make you quit? Because if you're just going to quit, quit now. Don't get halfway in. If you're just going to quit anyway, just quit. What will make you quit? What's the words that will make you want to stop? What will make you want to put on the brakes? I think the Spirit is speaking a word of warning. And the people who hear that word of warning from God, look what they, look how they respond. I want you to see how they respond. It says, um, now when we heard these things, verse 12, when we heard these things, that's Luke and Timothy and all the guys that are with Paul. When we heard these things, both we and those that were from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. A word of warning comes from God. And the people who love Paul interpreted that word of warning As a stop, don't go. Quit. Do something else. It's dangerous. But Paul interpreted the word of warning as preparation. Well, that's different. There's a woman, Christian woman in North Korea. North Korea, it's illegal to be a believer. And if you're a believer and you're caught uh, witnessing or proselytizing, telling people about your faith, you're going to go to prison. And this woman who committed her life to the Lord, she saw in God something so incredible that she was willing to receive Him and and with the idea, man, I could lose it all. But instead of leaving North Korea and saying, no, it's dangerous here, we should just leave. They didn't leave North Korea. What she did is she started to prepare for prison. She started eating moldy bread because she knew in prison that would be the best she would get. She started preparing her body to be cold because she knew that they wouldn't give her the, the blankets that she would need. And, and she started to spend long periods of time fasting and preparing her body for what she knew would come one day if she chose to follow Jesus Christ. And you know what? She was right. Sure enough, they arrested her and they threw her in that prison and the best she ever got was moldy bread. One day, they threw a woman in that prison who was guilty of having her husband killed. And they cast her in there and she had not prepared at all. And they threw her in the same cell with this Christian woman. That woman was frantic and she wept for days and days and days and days. It looked like she was going to go crazy. And all this Christian woman could do in North Korea, when that woman finally fell asleep, laying in the filth and the mud at the bottom of the cell, was to lay using her body to cover her feet so her feet would be warm. And days passed. She would surrender her moldy bread because she had spent so much time fasting and preparing that she was able to do it. And finally that woman, after weeks turned into months, she said, why are you doing all this? And she turned and said to her, you know, I found in Jesus such a treasure. I want to share it with you. She put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And a week later, they killed her. They've lost count of how many women this woman has shared the love of Christ with. All because she heard a word of warning and heard it as preparation instead of escape. Paul's friends, they, they see it as a reason to run. Get out. Get away. But Paul sees it as a reason to be prepared. Get ready. 
Paul had already said he's going to go to Rome. And it's just like God. What does God do? God tells Paul to go to Jerusalem, so the devil has to pay for the trip. Look at it. God don't have to come up with any of the money. He doesn't have to do a special offering. He gets arrested. They take him to court. At court, he appeals to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen, has a right to appeal to Caesar. And so, to Caesar you will go. And they put him on a ship and send him up to Caesar. He spends two years put up in a home, under home arrest, in Rome, teaching day and night on the streets of Rome. In the middle of the government, in the biggest city of the ancient world, he's got people coming to him right and left to receive the word that Paul has to give. That sounds just like God. So, the Lord gives a word of warning. It's interpreted as as run by some, but by Paul it's interpreted as be prepared. And so as they all call out to him, listen to what Paul says. And Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. I found something so valuable in Christ. I'm more than happy to lose everything for him. Does that sound like your relationship with the Lord? Listen to His words. I found something so valuable in Christ. I'm more than happy to lose it all. Just to have Him. That's incredible. That's incredible to be in that place. To have that attitude. So what did the people say to him? So when they, he could not be persuaded, we see saying, the word of the Lord be done. Now, this is like texting. I don't know, I can't find in the grammar the voice behind that. I don't know if it was, whatever, the will of the Lord be done. You won't listen to reason. Or I don't know if they were just, well, God's will be done. I don't know. But I know what Paul would say. Turn in your Bibles. Just flip to the right. You're going to come to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last book Paul writes. Now the the trial is over. His two years in Rome that he's been preaching and teaching, that's over. He's even spoke the gospel to a guy you'll know from history. His name's Nero. You remember Nero? Nero, you know, the tradition tells us that Nero, after he beheads Paul, that's when he went crazy. I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll find that out maybe one day when we get to the Lord. But Paul definitely preached to him twice. Paul stood before Nero and gave him the gospel. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, the, of our Lord. Listen. A lot of times we read that word and we will attribute a different meaning. Biblically, when the Bible talks about being ashamed, it's don't be disappointed. It's, a, it's the attitude that you will not have disappointment. God is everything He said He would be. You won't be disappointed. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. At the end of it all, Paul is saying, I'm not disappointed. I gave it all up for Christ, and I'm not disappointed. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I lost everything. And it was all worth it. You want to be able to say that at the end of your life, at the end of your time. I lived my life out loving the Lord God and I'm not disappointed. 
I'm not counting the things I lost. I consider all things lost for the excellency of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's declaring at the end of his life, at the end of it all. Days before the headsman's acts, in in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. I love it. It's the same thing Martin Luther said. They burned Huss, but they can't stop the truth. They can't kill it. They can't imprison it. They can't stop it. Though I'm in chains, the gospel is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Again, Paul saying, man, at the end, I find a treasure in Christ worth it all. I find it worth everything. Chapter 3, verse 10 of 2 Timothy, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, the manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, what happened to me at Antioch, and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then finally in chapter 4, verse 6. For I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. But not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Paul says it's all worth it. It's all worth it. In our world today, our world today, it says, how does this help me? Our world today says, what am I getting out of this? Our world today says, God wants me to be happy. So if I'm not happy, it's not God's will. But that's not the message of the Word of God. The message of the Word of God is you will find happiness and joy only in Him. Everything else won't last. It won't last. But the love of Christ lasts forever. And sometimes the love of Christ compels us to go through times of deep suffering. But look, you could be sitting down right now saying, there's no way I could do it. I could never do this. You don't have to do it now. You have to do it when God calls you to. And when God calls you, His commandments are His enablements. What God asks you to do, He empowers you to do. He doesn't leave you without the ability. It's all in Him. See, Paul was focused on being a God-pleaser, on pleasing God, living for God, putting his life in Christ. That was everything to him. 167 times he uses the phrase, be found in Christ, in the Lord. In Galatians he would say, well, do I now persuade men or God? What's my purpose? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I could not be called the bondservant of Christ. To be a bondservant of Christ means I surrendered all to Him. In 1 Thessalonians, he would say, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but pleasing God who tests our hearts. God knows where our heart is. We can deceive ourselves. We can tell ourselves, I'm good. I got it. I, I get it. I, I, have a, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can say the words are easy. The words are easy. But God tests the heart. God tests the heart. You say your mind. Come and follow me.
Come and follow me. Sometimes that's a road to Jerusalem and chains and tribulation and God's empowerment to overcome. It's really not fair. Because wherever God calls us to go, He'll equip us to do it. We have to find in Him, just like all these guys, Martin Luther, John Huss, Paul, all the disciples, Stephen, Philip, what did they find? They found in Christ something so valuable, they were willing to let everything else go just to have Him. That's why Paul would say 167 times, Everything you need is in Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before You this morning. Lord, we just give You thanks, Father, for the truth of Your Word, God. And our desire, truly, Lord, is to just understand the resolute commitment of men and women in the past and on the pages of Scripture who are willing to forsake all to follow Christ. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that that would be our heart's desire. Lord, even though the prophets may proclaim that chains and tribulation await, Lord, that we would use that as a word of warning to prepare to have our bodies ready. For I am already being poured out, Paul said. I have already died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live through the power of God. Lord, I just pray that You would do a work in our hearts. Lord, Jesus, Father, You're calling us to reality. The reality of faith. A life surrendered. A life where true joy and happiness is actually found. Lord, I pray that You would be glorified and magnified. Lord, and if there's anybody here whose heart has been pricked and who has an attitude now that says, Lord, I need to come. I need to receive what You have. I want this gift. I want that treasure. Lord, I pray, God, that You would have them come up. For we will have people up front to pray with them. We already have water in a tank to baptize them. That they might know You. The fellowship of Your suffering and the power of Your resurrection. Lord, we pray that You would be glorified in this place, Lord Jesus, as we lay it in Your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.